Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Haunted Collection, episode 22. I can't believe there are already 22 episodes now of my podcast. I've really enjoyed recording these stories for you, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to them. It brings me great joy to bring chills to the very marrow of your bone with these ghostly tales and deadly urban legends that have been shared throughout history. Many of them I enjoyed when I was growing up here in central Alabama. Stories from all around the world. In fact, tonight's stories take place from other parts of the world, so I can't wait to share those with you. First little update, though, that I'm very happy about. This week, I released my new book, Crimson, The Haunted Painting. The last two or three weeks have been very busy as I've been finishing up this book and getting it ready for publication. So it's good to be back, and especially here at the start of October, the month of Halloween, all the Hallow's Eve, one of my favorite months of the year. I always like to dress up and hand out candy to the neighborhood children and enjoy their costumes as well as they parade by. And it's just a really fun time. You know, it's the harvest time. It's the time to, to be thankful, but also it's a great time to get scared. <laughs> so, back to my new book, Crimson, The Haunted Painting, is now available. You can find it on Amazon in paperback and also on Kindle if you like ebook. So be sure to check those out. I have some copies on order being shipped to me now so I can sell them on my website. Autograph copies. So be sure to check out myhaunteddolls.com in the coming week or so and hopefully I'll have it posted where you can purchase it directly from me if you like an autograph. And I thank you so much for your support. Be sure to check out my other books while you're out there on my website. I've got a lot of ghost stories to share, including the book My Haunted Collection, which tells the stories behind several of my haunted items here in my own collection. So be sure to check that out. Crimson the Blood Painting is the story of a man who finds a mysterious antique painting lying outside his front door one morning. It looks to him like just a piece of trash that someone's left, but he doesn't know who left it or why. Being a little bit into antiques, he decides to keep it and makes the mistake of hanging it in his house. Very soon, mysterious, very eerie paranormal activity begins to happen in his home, and something starts causing his daughter to change. So be sure to check out Crimson, the Blood Painting. Also, later this month, I will be at Crypticon in Orange Beach, Alabama, the last weekend of October. I'll be there with copies of my new book, Crimson, the Haunted Paint, the Crimson, the Blood Painting, excuse me, and as well as the rest of my ghost books signing and selling and I'll do a few talks so be sure to check us out if you're in that area there'll be a lot of wonderful guests there to speak to who have all kinds of interest in the paranormal world so that's where it's going to be happening Orange Beach Alabama the last month of October at the wharf 
So be sure to check that out. You can get your tickets at abnormalalabama.com. And now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. For my first story, this is one I read from a, a book from my childhood. I read many books of scary stories and really enjoyed them, but my favorites were the ones that were said to be true, and this is one of them. It's called The Dust. For centuries, the island of Malta in the Mediterranean had been a major port for the British Navy. The island always had pleasant associations for Lieutenant March. Always, that is, until that one strange experience. Now the lieutenant insists that he would never return to Malta again, not even if his life depended on it. Here is what happened, or what Lieutenant March thinks happened. The lieutenant and a fellow officer, Lieutenant Andrews, had dinner at the house of one of Malta's leading citizens. The dinner had been an extremely pleasant one. The hour sped by, and when the two officers left, it was very late. The good food, good wine, and the good talk had put the men in an excellent mood, but the lateness of the hour made them hurry just a little bit more. March stopped at the entrance to a narrow street. I think if we go up here, we can reach the harbor more quickly. This street should be a shortcut. Uh, right, said Andrews. And so the two men turned into the dark and narrow side street. It was a street of private homes. Everybody seemed to be asleep at that time. There were no lights in any of the windows. The street itself had only a few feeble street lights to illuminate the darkness. The officers had no feelings of fear, for the streets of Malta were typically safe, and all streets led to the harbor. There was no chance of getting lost. They had come about halfway down the street when they saw a figure standing by one of the houses. As they got closer, they saw it was a woman. She seemed to be in some kind of trouble. She was trying to open a window of one of the houses, but without any success. We'd better see if we can help, said March. Andrews nodded in agreement. So the two officers got closer, and when they did, they saw that the house was one of the largest on the street. It had an elaborately carved front door. The woman herself was dressed very formally. She wore a long black dress which nearly swept the ground as she moved. Atop her head and trailing down to the cover the lower part of her face was a Spanish-style black lace veil known as a mantilla. Her manner of dress was the sort that would have been popular with the wealthier Spanish women of the island. Can we be of any help, madam? asked Lieutenant March. Oh, thank you, she said. She spoke perfect English, but her voice had a definite Spanish accent. I am very embarrassed. I went out without taking my keys. 
All my servants are off attending a wedding feast in a distant town. They will not be back for hours. I found this small window unlatched, but it is stuck and I am not strong enough to open it. March stepped up and grasped the window that she was talking about. It took some effort, but he finally managed to pry it open. He climbed through the window and into the house. The lights had been left burning in the hall. The woman's keys lay in plain sight on a table. March unlocked the front door and opened it. The woman was extremely grateful and invited Lieutenant March and his companion to stay for a drink. They protested that it was very late and they did not wish to intrude, but the woman in the black dress insisted. She had the sort of personality that could not be easily opposed. I'm sure that officers of His Majesty's Navy will not reject a lady's invitation. And indeed, they did not. As Lieutenant March began to look around the house, he was quite surprised from the outside that the house had seemed large. From the inside, it seemed to be almost a mansion. The hall had a floor of black and white marble. Rising up from the center of the hall was an elaborate double staircase. The woman led the two officers up the stairs. These two were made of black and white marble. The men were taken into a small room at the top of the stairs. This room had only a few pieces of furniture in it. But the officers were able to see that these were fine and expensive antiques. This was the house of a very wealthy person. Please make yourselves comfortable, the woman said. I will go and get the drinks. She returned in a moment with a silver tray. On the tray was a beautiful cut glass decanter and three glasses. The woman filled the glasses and then proposed a toast. To your very good health, gentlemen. And to yours, senor, uh, senora, said Lieutenant March. The woman ignored March's obvious request for her name, yet was not unfriendly. On the contrary, the two officers and the unknown woman chatted in a friendly manner for nearly half an hour. The officers then rose to leave, and the woman showed them the way down the stairs. They said their goodbyes, and... March held out his hand for a parting handshake. The woman did not respond. In fact, she stepped away. After the two officers were out of the house and back on the street, Andrew said, That was very odd, wasn't it? Odd in what way? asked March. Well, in lots of ways, Andrews responded. She wouldn't tell us her name. She practically jumped when you tried to shake her hand. How did she get out of the house in the first place if it was all locked up and the key was inside? And the house just sounded funny. Funny? Yes, the, the way our voices echoed. There were drapes and carpets, but our, our voices and footsteps echoed just as if we were in an empty house.
Well, it was all a bit strange, March admitted, but it's very late and we have drunk quite a bit of wine. The next morning, the two officers were having lunch with an official of the island. Lieutenant Andrews was still puzzled by the events of the previous evening. He told the official what had happened. The official seemed confused by the tale. He asked Andrews to describe the house and its location again. He did, and Lieutenant March agreed that the description was absolutely accurate. What you have told me happened could not possibly have happened, said the official firmly. I know the house you're speaking of. It has been empty for nearly 20 years now. It has become little more than a ruin today. But we can't have been mistaken, insisted March. The two of us remember the whole thing perfectly. I tell you that the house has been abandoned ever since Senora Suarez killed herself there. Her family was so grief-stricken that they could no longer enter it. They allowed the house with so many unhappy memories to go to ruin. If you can spare an hour, I'll show you. Perhaps you were at a different house. March and Andrews agreed to go with the official. As they approached the street, they had a growing sense of uneasiness. When they got about halfway down the street, the official stopped and pointed. Is that the house you say you entered last night? The carved front door was unmistakable. March and Andrews agreed that this was the house. They also realized that the official had been quite correct. The house was abandoned and falling into ruin. The door was weather-beaten and riddled with wormholes. The window through which March had climbed was boarded up. So were many of the other windows in the house. And those that were not boarded up had been broken. This is impossible, insisted March. Perhaps we were mistaken about the house. We must look inside. He pressed up against the door. It was locked, but the wood was so badly rotted that it split around the lock and the door swung open. There was the black and white marble floor, and there was the elaborate double staircase. But now, the walls were cracked, and everything was covered with a thick layer of dust. Suddenly, the official gasped and stammered, uh, Gentlemen, I, I apologize for doubting you. Someone has been here very recently. Look! He pointed toward the floor. There in the dust were three sets of footprints. The prints of two men and a woman. Lieutenant March put his foot into one of the prints and the fit was perfect. Silently, fearfully, they followed the prince up the stairs into the small room. Their footsteps echoed up the stairs just as they, just as they had the night before. All the furniture in the room was gone except for the table that both March and Andrews remembered. 
in the dust that covered the table were the marks of three glasses. The men stared at the table. Suddenly, there was a violent draft. The dust rose in a thick, swirling cloud that blinded them and choked them. Then, as suddenly as it started, the wind was gone. As they cleared the dust from their eyes, the men looked around. At first, it seemed as if nothing had been disturbed. Even the layer of dust that covered everything looked as it had before. Well, not exactly as it had before. Where there had been the prints of two men and a woman, only the prints of the two men remained. And there were marks of only two glasses in the dust on the tabletop. March began to shake uncontrollably. I'm getting out of here, he shouted. And he ran down the stairs with the other two men right behind him. After that, Lieutenant March would not go back to Malta ever again. And that was the story of the dust. Quite a creepy story at that, too. One that I really enjoy telling. It's very spooky. I love a good ghost story. But now we're going to move out of the Mediterranean and go to a different part of the world. All the way over to China with a story that I'm now going to share with you. Actually, it's two stories. And it's called The Demon Corpse. In China, an unburied body was once thought to be very dangerous. When a person dies, the spirit leaves the body. The body is then like an unoccupied house. Anyone, or in this case anything, might take possession of it. The Chinese believed that the air was filled with invisible spirits and demons. One of these might take possession of any unattended corpse. The corpse could then be brought back to a sort of life, but it would no longer be the person who had previously inhabited the body. It would then be a creature called a Jang Shik that was an awful looking thing with glowing eyes, long dagger-like nails, a greenish skin, The breath of such a monster is deadly. Yes, I'm speaking of the demon corpse. There is an old story related to this about four travelers. They stopped at a roadside inn and asked for a place to sleep, but the inn was completely full. The travelers had come a long way and were very tired. It was starting to rain. The travelers begged the innkeeper to let them sleep someplace, any place that was available. Finally, the innkeeper said there was a shed out back that they might sleep in. It wasn't very comfortable, but it was a roof over their heads and a place they could escape the rain. What the innkeeper did not tell the four travelers was that his daughter-in-law had just died and her body was in that shed. 
It was stretched out on a plank of wood behind a curtain. When the travelers entered the shed, they didn't see the corpse. Three of the travelers fell asleep at once. The fourth was uneasy, quite nervous to be honest. He couldn't get to sleep. He felt something was wrong in this shed. He just didn't know what it was. As you might expect, the corpse had been invaded by a demon. It had become the demon corpse. When the corpse thought that the travelers were asleep, it got up and carefully peered out from behind the curtains from where it was hidden. The fourth traveler, the one who could not sleep, saw the bony hand draw back the curtains. He was too frightened by the sight to move. He just lay there pretending to be asleep. The creature leaned over each one of the sleeping travelers, and as it did, it breathed on them. <sighs> they died without waking up. When the demon corpse approached the one traveler who had not fallen asleep, he kept his eyes tightly shut, and he held his breath for all of his might. That is what saved his life. The corpse then returned to its place behind the curtain. When the surviving traveler thought it was safe, he opened his eyes and jumped up, ran toward the door. But he made too much noise. The corpse heard him and chased after him. The fleeing man could see the eyes of the creature glowing in the darkness behind him, and he knew it was catching up to him. He ducked behind a large tree to try and hide from it. Then he peered carefully around the tree to see if it was gone. Unfortunately, it was not. He found himself looking directly into its glowing eyes. The thing was no more than three feet away, and it let out a horrible shriek, then jumped at him. He collapsed in a dead faint. That saved his life again. When he fell, the corpse missed and it plunged forward with such force that it buried its long nails in the trunk of the tree, and there it was stuck. The next morning, when the innkeeper went to the shed to see about the travelers, he found the three dead men. He guessed what happened. Then he went looking for the fourth man, who was nowhere to be seen in the shed. He found the man unconscious on the ground near the tree. The corpse was there too, now truly and completely dead, and its long nails were still stuck in the tree. Another story, first told in China almost 300 years ago, tells of a similar but even more fearful creature. This thing was supposed to have haunted a Buddhist temple. The creature was so awful that the temple was deserted at nighttime. No one had ever actually seen the thing in the temple, but they heard it. They were just too frightened to stay around and find out what it looked like. 
One evening, a shepherd asked permission to sleep in the temple. He wanted to stay close to his sheep, which were under the temple porch. The priest warned him that something awful might happen, but the shepherd went in anyway. He was a very brave man, and he carried only a candle and a whip. Because of all the awful things he had been told about the temple, the shepherd was not able to sleep a wink. Around midnight, he heard noises. They seemed to be coming from beneath one of the temple statues, like scratching noises. He lighted his candle. In the dim light, he could see a gigantic figure with great claws and a greenish skin. Emerging up, its breath smelled like a rotting corpse. The monster attacked, but the shepherd was very quick. He managed to evade the claws, and then he struck at the thing with his whip. The creature didn't even seem to feel the blows; it just kept coming after him, coming and coming. So the shepherd fled from the temple. Leaving his sheep behind. When it became light, the shepherd went back to the temple. This time it was empty, but there was a strange and evil-smelling mist drifting from the cracked stone floor near some of the statues. It was the spot where the shepherd had first seen the creature emerging out of the shadows. Digging in, or in any other way disrupting in a temple, was a very serious offense in China. In China, the shepherd had to ask the local judge for permission before he could do anything. When he told the judge what he had seen in the temple that night, and why he wanted to dig up the stone floor, permission was quickly granted. So he went forward with his project, and when the stones were removed, the diggers, helping him, found the mummified corpse of a gigantic man. The corpse fit the description that had been given by the shepherd. The priest said that the only way to get rid of such a monster was to burn it. A large fire was built, and the giant corpse was thrown onto it. As the corpse crackled and burned in the fire, its skin going up in flames, it screamed and thrashed about, crying out. But soon, as it succumbed to the flames, there was nothing left but the ashes. After that, the temple was never troubled again. And that, my friends, was the legend of the demon corpse. Two great tales that give us an example of what this crazy creature is like. And so, my friends, we come to the end of our episode. I shall be back shortly, as this is the month of October, Halloween, and I want to share a few more stories for you to chill your body. But in the meantime, be sure to pop in those scary movies and enjoy them, because this is definitely the season to do that—the best season of the year, the best season for fright. 
Once again, be sure to check out my new book, Crimson the Haunted, Crimson the Blood Painting. I can't believe I'm twisting my own title. (laughs) Crimson the Blood Painting. Be sure to check it out because it's perfect for the Halloween season. And don't forget to come check us out at Crypticon at the end of this month, the last weekend of October at Orange Beach, Alabama. It's a beautiful place and a great place to get creeped out. So come on down and see us and hear some great frightening stories about ghosts and cryptids and even UFOs. Until then, enjoy this wonderful month of Halloween. Get plenty of candy, curl up, read a good horror story, watch a good scary movie, and by all means, have a happy haunting. Ha 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 ha.